attention to the crew of the commercial vessel Nostromo. A word of warning. A word of warning. A word of warning. Alien. Coming this summer to a theater near you. Welcome back to Reconcinimation, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the podcast where we take a look back at our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And uh, we've just spent the last 30 to 40 minutes discussing the Game of Thrones finale. Yeah, as of this recording, it was very recent, and uh, everyone's talking about it. Fresh on our minds. So we obviously have to release a special Game of Thrones-related episode? Yeah, I happen to record everything we just talked about. (laughs) Perfect. We'll put it out there. Like three years from now, yeah. the three-year anniversary of the <laughs> finale. What do you think? When we're, when we're looking back at the twenty whatever these are, yeah, we'll we'll throw that episode <laughs> out there. Uh, but we are not going to talk about Game of Thrones. We're not going to talk about Avengers. We're not much. Talk, not much. Just what you've been talking about your Marvel. Loves. I've been gabbing, <laughs> gabbing to anyone who will listen. Uh, we are talking about the fortieth anniversary of. Pretty much an, an undebatable, f- one of the greatest films. Whoa, Alien! Wow, greatest films. Yeah, all right. I'll it's put I'll 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 put my uh, money on that. Top one hundred for you. Top oh, this one. Top fifty. This might be top top three hundred. No, <laughs> this is definitely top ten for me. Oh, top ten. If not Favorite. higher. Got it. Yeah. If not. Higher. Wow, higher. I get away with it because I count Godfather one and two as one movie. Yeah, Godfather saga. Sure, yeah. So I I buy myself an extra spot. You got a slot there. Yeah. (laughs) You should recut the two together as one long thing. Put it on your own DVD, and you don't have to swap DVDs anymore. Honestly, I I like to take videotapes (laughs) and edit one long movie, which is like. Mm-hmm. The Thing, Alien, Godfather 1 and 2, and Chinatown, and just make a one fluid story. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, They're all the same. It's all the same lead character. It's like you and Topher Gase just reimagining <laughs> the greatest Hollywood stories. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, but we should definitely talk about this one. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, I'm excited. 40 years. 40 years. We're just a few days past, uh, about a week, about a week past uh, its 40th anniversary, 40th oh, wow. birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? This is that film from 1979? Yeah. Is uh, it 79? In 1979. Because it's 40 years. Yeah. See, I right got Right now this. it's 2019. I got this. Current math says that that's a 40-year difference. <laughs> Current math. Current. No, no, none, we don't know what new math No, is. don't. We don't. Uh, we don't t- I'm not ready for new math. Okay. The kids, they know new math. Yeah. Everything's it, different. They'll be like, it's 23 base 6 years away. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Them, I don't that's know. That's three. How'd you them. get there? <laughs> Um, cool. But um, and you know we've got uh, two people to thank for this movie. Really, when it all boils down to it, <laughs> two people, two people. That's it. There's a lot of people involved in this thing. John Carpenter and George Lucas. What? What? Why do we have them to what? thank? What? What do they do? John, you're crazy. Wait, what? 
lost my mind. Is it they they wrote and directed? Well, let's thing? find out. Let's get there. Let's uh, let's let's step back for a sec. We're going to catch up to why they're important to this uh, to this film and this franchise. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. What's it, just in case anyone's listening, they haven't watched it in a while. David, you remember the plot of this movie? Can you sum it up? Give us a 30-second um, summary. Um, uh, humanity is Good, in you got it okay. so far. Okay. <laughs> humanity is in space. Uh, we follow a crew of mining colonists, mining yeah. group. Uh, they have to... They come across a, an SOS signal on a, a weird planet, and they are obligated to go investigate, and they turns out... Uh, there's a lot of trouble brewing with uh, alien races and a monster that gets on board the ship and starts tearing things apart. And will they survive? And away we go. Yeah. That's a very basic framework. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a, it's a thrill ride. Uh, <laughs> it really amps up to a, a thrill <laughs> those, ride. Those are the best. The 90s, uh, <laughs> like, quick movie reviews on the yeah. posters. Yeah. It's a thrill ride. <laughs> Roger Ebert. <laughs> um, God, the first time I saw Alien, <laughs> I was very confused for a long time because really? I did one of those snuck out of my bedroom while my parents, you know, rent. They had rented Alien and Aliens. I want to say over one weekend they watched like <laughs> Alien one night, like Friday night and Saturday night they watched Aliens, sure. and they had some friends over, and I snuck out of my room and was peeking around, you know, like from the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I watched at least most of both of those movies. Mm-hmm. But I was like five or six, <laughs> 55. I was like 55. Uh, you were five or six? Yeah. What the so shit? for years, I had really confused the two movies sure, and yeah. kind of combined them in my head. Like I was confident that Burke, mm-hmm. Paul Reiser's character from Aliens, mm-hmm. was in Alien and survived along with Ripley. Oh, sure, yeah. So, like, he, they were, like, the heroes of the first movie. Got it. And which makes his turn, spoiler alert, in Aliens was more, like, powerful because uh, you thought he was the good, like, yeah. this would be his second movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, sure. Like, a co- some other things, too. There were certain shots that were from Aliens that I was sure was from the first movie mm-hmm. so a lot of confusion there yeah that would happen with the child's memory and yeah. recollection and and how you process that information i was never it looks sca- like you know there's, yeah this, there's a lot of consistency you know i was never scared of it i it never like frightened me yeah i was always intrigued yeah and then i didn't uh, I didn't really tune back in. I remember kind of knowing about Alien 3 when that came out, mm-hmm. but it was like 95, I think, when uh, good old Columbia House, mm. remember that? I do. Columbia House sent me the first two Alien movies. Whoa. Yep. Yeah. They just, they knew I wanted it. Yeah. But, uh, and then I was all in on those. I was, I was yeah. like deep diving mm. those movies. I would watch them multiple times like so so brilliant got and just it. fell in love and then i got obsessed with all the different versions and the laser discs and all that oh boy of course yeah that's what any true film fan does that's me you collect all the editions and cuts <laughs> yeah i watched the i i think i knew aliens better than alien well that uh, would have been like our it's ours yeah. yeah as young as young children like that was a big thing and that was more accessible probably mm-hmm. um 
so I, re- I mean, I had seen Aliens a bunch of times, and I, I don't know when I saw Alien amidst all that. So I, I, I probably did the same thing, kind of mixing it up a little at a certain point, but then realizing, like, oh, I kind of prefer Aliens because it's, like, action-y and, and, you know, right. cool, like, suspenseful in a different way. And, you know, Aliens seems slow and, and not as exciting, you know, to my young brain. Because um, I remember getting pumped for Alien 3, I remember watching a doc, couple documentaries on TV, like well, about the about both movies, and it was a nice like refresher and like how they made it. And I I never heard of H.R. Geiger, 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 yeah, excuse me. And uh, and it was um, it was like oh neat, like this is, this is someone had to design this. Like looking at how a film was being made, you know, when I'm like eleven or twelve and not thinking about mm-hmm. what goes into like creating these things. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And then getting pumped, pumped, pumped. And then, of course, they kill, like, my two favorite characters just in the opening moments. Oh, so, d- tell me about it. Yeah. But let's, let's go back to... Yeah, we're, we'll, we will, we're going to eventually look at every movie in the Alien franchise in the, in the life of this show. That's a, that's a good idea. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. We should definitely do that. In seven years, we'll look at Aliens. Yeah. So stay tuned. All right. <laughs> Put it on the schedule. But uh, this has got a, a kind of a long backstory, and we're going to get right into it. Yeah, let's go. Who's, what do we got first? First up. So in the mid-70s, Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> Back when film was created in 1910, <laughs> movie making was. <laughs> There's a, a film called Man on the Moon. <laughs> and it and changed great, everything. The Great Train Robbery. <laughs> Sorry. No, go, go ahead. Both Back of those <laughs> directly affected. Oh. <laughs> Hollywood didn't <laughs> even exist in, in the 1900s. Well, in the mid-70s, mm-hmm. John Carpenter is working on his uh, thesis film at USC, mm-hmm. basically. And he is teamed up with... A guy by the name of Dan O'Bannon, who, hey. whoa, both names uh, yeah. are out of Recon Cinema, the Recon Cinema past. Yeah, they're back. Uh, you can check out in the archives our mm-hmm. Escape from New York episode, which was our very first episode, mm-hmm. and uh, Dan O'Bannon's Return to the Living Dead, which we did last October. Yes, that's true. Part of our, our scare fest. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. But the two of them connected to work on this uh, student film that eventually they wanted to go beyond that and, and raise some money to, to make it a you know super low-budget but feature-length film. Mm-hmm. So technically, that is John Carpenter's first film, mm-hmm. although that is... Dark Sky? Dark, dark Star. Dark Star. Dark me. Star. Uh, so that's um, you know debatable whether some people consider it as first and some don't. Right, right. But they, it was kind of an equal collaboration along with uh, Ron Cobb as well. Cool. Uh, that was, you know, not as successful as any of them wanted. It didn't really do much for any of them. It did get their name out, names out there a little bit. Yeah. O'Bannon really liked the idea of the film, which is basically almost a comedic version of, of Alien, mm. um, but wanted to do a, horror, a, 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 you know, a very serious, dramatic horror version of it. So... O'Bannon starts writing, you know, kind of getting this idea together. He runs across a another writer named Ronald Shusett, who was developing what would become Total Recall. Now, this is probably 1976, wow. about this time. Yeah. 
Um, so they agree to collaborate, and and Shusit had seen Dark Star and really liked it, and thought O'Bannon was talented, and and so they started working together. Um, they wrote kind of the first act of the film pretty quickly. Um, they started working on some of the character development, just very early versions of these, mm-hmm. uh, but they couldn't really figure out what the alien was going to be. Mm-hmm. In Dark Star, it's a beach ball that was you know painted a different color. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which wasn't really going to work. Uh, no. They, you know, they both knew you needed something if you really wanted to make a horror movie. It had to be something menacing. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, you know, the horror movies of the fifties and sixties, the monsters looked very hokey. Yeah, not scary. Not uh, n- not an interesting design. No, clearly very, a guy in a suit. And, yeah, you know. Sure. You, you, it, it's a different type of movie that they're trying to make here. Yeah, like you need to, you need to scare these guys. Yeah, you need yeah. to scare the audience. How you, how do you do that? Yeah, you don't know right away. A lot of their focus was, uh, was in that opening sequence too, of just kind of setting the tone that these guys, the kind of somber tone that that exists in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, was was the energy they were kind of putting into it. It was originally called Memory. Was one of the early titles of it. Mm. Um. But during this, they kind of, you know, got to a point where they were a little bit stuck. O'Bannon gets a chance to work on a version of Dune. This is pre-David Lynch. Uh, so he takes off, goes to Europe, uh, and the idea is kind of put on hold. While he's over there, he works again with Ron Cobb. He works with H.R. Uh, Giger. Or sorry, not Ron Cobb. He meets up with Chris Foss. Mm-hmm. H.R. Giger and Jean Mobius Girard, mm-hmm. who are all designing Dune. Ah, and yeah. he's looking at their work, and th- the ideas are, are really starting to come to him for Alien, mm. especially when he sees Giger's Necronom 4, which is basically the design of the Alien. Yeah, yeah. And he knew that that's, that's the look. Yeah. Um, meantime, while he's over there, Dune ends up falling apart. He's there for about six months. Dune falls apart. One of the, I think, many times that movie was attempted to be made. Uh, Comes back to the States. He and Shusit start putting another draft together. Um, They're coming up with more and more of what would eventually be the film. Uh, They come up with the the embryo idea. Uh, One thing at a time was sort of happening for them. O'Bannon has a short story um, about gremlins attacking a B-52 bomber, Mm. which, has anyone seen the movie Heavy Metal? Yes. Have you seen that? You've seen Heavy Metal. Yeah, but the animated thing. Yeah, I was like fourteen though. Well, there's a whole sequence in that that's written by Dan O'Bannon about gremlins attacking a B-52 bomber and kind of zombifying the the pilots. Oh my gosh, I don't remember. It's actually uh, that sequence is actually my favorite in the in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. But that was again like part of that idea was kind of getting infused into Alien as well. So monsters in a like. In a one specific location, like you're stuck on a ship or you're stuck on a plane, like you you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you're trapped. Yeah, <laughs> once you yeah, that's a terrifying thought. It is a terrifying thought, and yeah. it's a great idea for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It was on the right track. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started pitching the idea to some studios and some other producers. Uh, they almost had a deal with Roger Corman, <laughs> which would have Whoa. taken it into a totally different yeah. direction. Hmm. Uh, and probably not to say it wouldn't have been successful, but it wouldn't have the creative uh, shelf life that that this version's had. Yeah. 
Um, they end up pitching it to Walter Hill, David Geiler, and Gordon Carroll, who are uh, a team of writer-producers who had just called a com- uh, started a company called Brandywine, um, who were sort of under the Fox umbrella. So These are the Fox boys. The Fox boys. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Making movies with Fox. <laughs> they, uh, they, those guys took it to Fox, started pitching it there. Uh, Walter Hill was just coming off a movie, a Ryan O'Neill movie called The Driver. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Driver's a fantastic movie. They say that. Whether you like or dislike Ryan O'Neill, uh, we're going to cover that one soon. Yes. That was on my list for this year. Yeah. There's plenty of time left. By my watch, we're almost halfway through. Haven't gotten to it yet. Holy cow. But how did we get here? Yeah, weren't we just doing like Die Hard and and, uh, the Christmas special? Feels like it. Groundhog Day. Wasn't that yesterday? Basically. (laughs) Time is short. Time is fleeting. Yeah. We're going to die one day. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, not you. Um, So they start pitching it to Fox. They're pitching it to Alan Ladd who uh, was, as many people know, was, was partially responsible for Star Wars' success, Yeah, uh, which will play in here in a second. He um, starts, he agrees to greenlight the movie, but it's only got like a $2 million budget. So oh. they're going around trying to pitch to actors and directors, and they're having a really hard time. They actually, Tom Skerritt almost agrees to be in the movie, but he he's the one who tells them, like, you're not gonna. This is a great a great script. You're not gonna get what you should out of it because you're not putting the right amount of money into it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you're paying for a, a you know a D grade horror movie, then that's what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he ends up walking away from the project, but uh, on good terms. Sure. Um, they start. Uh, Right about now, they start developing some issues between the O'Bannon and Shusett version of the script, which, in the grand scheme of things, is pretty close to the movie, but there's a lot of the finer details that are really different. Hmm. The, the, the crew of the Nostromo was much more bland and straightforward and really didn't have much character difference. Uh, I remember they had very, like, almost convoluted names too that just didn't roll off the tongue you know mm-hmm. um they wanted to put their stamp on it with that, that kind of thing right yeah like, you know. well i think they were emphasizing more of the creature and that side of it than mm-hmm. getting you to identify with the characters yeah uh wasn't um, they weren't weren't the those guys solely responsible for one very specific thing or something like that, like that it's iconic. I forget what it is. Like, well, the oh, the Brandywine guys, yeah, or yeah. the well, they came up with the Ash being a robot. Uh, okay, storyline. Yeah. So okay, yeah, yeah. which you know ends up playing into a much bigger piece in the franchise's yeah you know overall story. Yeah. Um. You know the and they came up with the 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 characters being more like truck drivers in space, mm. so really humanizing the characters. So. Yeah. Walter Hill, if you look at his career, is a has almost nothing to do with sci-fi movies, mm-hmm. but very strong character pieces. So his team was really important in getting these characters to be identifiable and feel like real people. Yeah. They're all real and unique, and they have very particular relationships and, yeah. and a group dynamic. Um, and that's that's what you spend the first half of the movie just experiencing. 
like understanding who these people are. Yeah. You don't have to rush to any, any kind of, you don't have to get to the big set pieces. Like, right. Take your time. Here we are. This is a, this is a very thoughtful, slow moving, take, take our time kind of situation, get to know, and then unleash hell on them. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Oh no! Wait, that's uh, Event Horizon. So, oh yeah, remember that one? Yeah, Sam Neill. Yeah, and Lawrence Larry Fishburne. Fishburne. Larry, Larry. Oh, Larry. Well, all right. When we're on speed dial, <laughs> he's number three on my speed dial. Number three, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> your speed dial. Total package is number one. Of course. <laughs> Say hi to Jeff for me. Dennis Quaid is number two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, Walter Hill is originally going to direct the movie. He bows out probably wisely because he realized that the amount of visual effects in the movie are beyond his realm. Okay. He was much more of a down-to-earth, character-driven, like, city kind of, you know, director. Yeah. Um, you city, Using visual... city director? Like... Like not a country director? <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> That'd be funny to keep it in. I don't know why when I think of Walter Hill movies, I think of... He's telling uh, real stories about people. Well, I think of cities. (laughs) Urban environments. The Driver. Yeah. um, Warriors. Yeah. And 48 Hours. Right, right. He's not... Yeah, he's not doing... City folk. (laughs) Yeah, the Warriors are... City slickers. Very basic (laughs) city folk. But no, I get what you're saying. He's not a sci-fi guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole... Anything with that amount of visual effects and... Um, you know, everything that goes with that special effects, visual effects, those are all, it's yeah. a different layer you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and that takes skill and, and experience to, to execute well and patience. Yeah. That that's, I think the key is hmm. there's so many more people when you have a, a movie doing that, you know, let's just say a star Wars kind of movie. It's, it's so many more people working on it. Whereas a movie like the driver, you can go do, with like a crew of 20 people instead of a crew of 100 or 200 people who right. are working 24-7 and all different things are happening at different times. Um, so he bows out. They start looking for other directors. Robert Aldrich, Peter Yates, who are you know, out of the 50s and 60s. But the more they look at guys like that, they're, they see just a B-grade like mon- monster movie, old-school kind of monster movie, which... Uh, Gordon Carroll, one of the producers, was really put his foot down. That that was not where they wanted to go. That was they weren't going to do the no offense, but Roger Corman thing, yeah. uh, monster movie. They were going to this had the opportunity to be something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took the time to really find the right person, and they found they had just seen the Duelist, which is Ridley Scott's first movie, mm-hmm. and fell in love with it. Fell in love with his storytelling and his visual style and. Uh, went after him. Uh, the Have you ever seen The Duelist? I haven't. I saw it a long time ago in mm-hmm. school, and it was, you know, it's an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's still very, like, first-time filmmaker kind yeah, of movie. Sure. Like a bottle rocket, you know? Yeah, yeah. But really good. Um, but really good, really good film. I'll have to check it out. Highly recommend it, if you can find it. Uh-oh. Maybe we'll just have to take a field trip to... Videotech? Videotech. Yeah. See what they got it. Grab it on VHS or Betamax. (laughs) Uh, So they make a deal with Ridley Scott. Um, 
he definitely saw the potential of the movie. He was on the same page with them. He started making some storyboards of uh, some of the sequences, and and they repitched it to Fox with this new director attached. And Fox was, you know, Alan Ladd was was uh, definitely into it, especially be this becoming uh, coming right after Star Wars's release. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Thanks to George Lucas making Star Wars such a mega hit and changing the whole business, Fox wanted to capitalize on that. And now, when this was a $2 million movie, suddenly, now it's an $8 million movie. They just quadruple the budget and really start putting attention on this and helping them guide it to the movie they want to make. Yeah. Basically, just because they want to rush out a sci-fi movie. Yeah, a sci-fi movie. Yeah. People are still hungry for it. Oh yeah, they want the fever hasn't gone away. Uh, and Scott saw the movie as uh, you know he's really influenced by a combination of a, a lot of movies, but some of the bigger ones being Star Wars, Jaws, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Two Thousand One. Hmm. So basically, yeah, if you wow. take all of those, scrunch them up, put them in a blender, blend it, <laughs> a little bit of water, uh-huh. little paprika. You get alien. <laughs> well, he's, it's in, he's interesting though because he was he, his first movie wasn't until he was forty years old. He had been directing. Uh, he was an ad man, like he he had done thousands of commercials or something. And um, this was, I mean, he and was. It's he, funny because he'd continue to do them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's 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 been a filmmaker since he was like any film any true filmmaker, you know. Starting when he's a kid, like making making movies with his brother, uh, with Tony Scott. Tony, R.I.P. Uh, you know, but then this is it. Forty after f- turning forty, you know, he gets to have his first big, uh, ho- you know, studio picture, yeah. and then then he's off to the races here with Alien. So they um, kind of go back to the original designs of H.R. Giger, which mm-hmm. was a lot of the visual inspiration. Um, if you check out any of H.R. Giger's work, uh, it's very interesting, very um, weirdly like erotic, you know, mm. mechanical kind of yeah. combination. Um, it's, there's a lot of humans and machines and like these biomechanical, sometimes sexual rela- mm-hmm. positions, really. Yeah. And definitely, yeah, and, and but definitely on patterns of like of interesting shapes, like you know, like bones and skeleton kind of things, like the interesting shapes of the of like a spine, yeah. But then ex, you know, it's sort of expanded and blown up. Do you know there's two bars in Sweden? Uh, they're called Giger bars, <laughs> and they are they are designed with the aesthetic of of his style, and it is crazy. I mean, just look it up if you look up Giger bars, and you could see photos from inside these places. I mean just the way it's constructed and like one of them's in an old castle like and it's just a bar i guess a bar or restaurant or something like that and yeah. uh so you'd be like wow. living within his and it's amazing like the these like skeletal things line the 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 ceilings and the and the the furniture and all of that yeah and then like the weird like technology kind of like as the tabletop like the these the weird patterns and it's let's go to there i i i've never been to sweden but i, I got a book a i got a book of flight I gotta get over there. I'm gonna. I got I'm it. gonna step out and pick up my red phone and make that happen. Make it happen, dude. We should get over there. Do 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 do. Okay. And we can do a show live from Giger Bar. 
What? Where we talk about Alien 4. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, his gothic visual style was a uh, was very important, and it provided the answers to these guys, like, right away of some of the hard questions what does the alien look like what if, what are our sets going to look like and yeah. he had designed he had all of these images in his head that uh, haunted him really hmm. like he talked about how he was afraid of the pictures that were in his head oh my god and that was you know him trying to get it out there mm-hmm. um so that was uh one of the main hurdles they they had, they were able to leap and just getting getting the production going yeah uh, they started casting the project, and you know, there's only really I think technically there are nine actors in the movie. I guess so, yeah. If you count the woman who does Mother, right, the voice, the voice. of Mother, yeah. and then the guy who plays the alien, who's yeah. in the alien costume, yeah. who was actually a few different people, but mm. um, uh, Sigourney Weaver is uh, ends up becoming the star of the movie, but this is her first her first film. Yeah, well, she was a stage. She's a stage actress, right? Yeah, she was a Broadway uh, Broadway star. Here she is breaking it, into Hollywood. Yeah, uh, Tom Skerritt, who is probably the biggest name attached to this movie. Yeah. Uh, although Yafet Kodo had a you know oh, had right. a name as well. Yeah. Um, but Skerritt, who we uh, talked briefly about in our Harold and Maude Harold and Maude yeah. episode. Yeah. Check it out in the archives, www.reconsidimation.com. Plus the Afikoto from our Midnight Run episode. That's right. So we're getting a lot of a lot of repeats. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the show. The more we go, the more our friends are going to keep showing up. Yep. <laughs> if only we could get Randy Quaid in this movie. Mm. Uh, but he was just coming off a movie called Ice Castles and Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke and... <laughs> He had been in MASH previously, so he was he was kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yafet Kodo coming off of uh, his last big movie before this was Live and Let Die, mm. where he's the villain in uh, the ninth Bond movie. Pretty sure that was the ninth one. With Sean? With Roger? Eighth. Eighth movie. Roger. Yeah. Roger Moore. Sure. The first one with Roger Moore. First one with Roger Moore. Yeah. Got it. Uh, great, great Bond film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Hey. Oh. We've seen him before. We've seen on the him show. once, twice. Maybe twice. Escape from New York. Escape from New York. And I thought we saw him did somewhere he, did else. Did he pop up briefly in something? He's in One so many shows. things. He's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was in uh, Cool Hand Luke, Godfather 2. Uh, he's in got so many movies throughout the 70s. Small roles. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, just... Small character uh, character pieces, mm-hmm. um, but he hated monster movies, <laughs> and he came in and basically like told Ridley Scott how he didn't want to be there, and and he hates these movies and doesn't want to make them, but he's there. Uh, Ridley kind of tried to turn it around on him and said, "Well, it's I hate I hate those movies too. We're not making that kind of movie. This yeah. is this is Ten Little Indians. Yeah, yeah. It's just p- people getting picked off one by one. Yeah, yeah." So he got he got Harry Dean more on board after that. I see. Well, he got some great stuff to do in this movie too. Harry Dean? Yeah. I mean, they all do, but like he's such a it's so Harry. Yeah, uh, you know, getting to I don't know, his quirks and mannerisms and everything, everything about his character. Part of what's so great is that they all, you know, we mentioned it already, but these these characters feel so real. Mhm. You know, they they're it's almost like they're playing extensions of themselves. Mhm. Yeah. Um, 
I could see these actors being like each of these people in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of the, the way, in the way of their power dynamics and how, yeah. they, how they interact. Like, you would see, like, Tom Skerritt sort of being the, 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 like, the guy in charge. Yeah. And then Sigourney Weaver, always, like, smart, smart, eloquent, uh, uh, sees the big picture and is cautious, you know? Like, yeah. They, and then Harry just being Harry. Yeah. <laughs> like, kind of the, the two, like, him and Yafet, the, the two and, buddies. Like, yeah. You can see them. It just feels like the they real would be dynamics friends. are there. It seems like it. The, so at the very least, yeah, these these feel like real relatable people. Yeah. Even though they're on a like a mining ship in, in space in the future. Well, and it's so important because if you look back, again, if you look back to, you know, sci-fi horror movies of the, really of the 50s, because there weren't that many in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. um, you know, movies like Forbidden Planet, mm-hmm. they are... You know they're very they're very wooden the characters mm-hmm. they're not um, they're not really engaging they're not really there's a lot of them they they don't stand apart from one another mm-hmm. um, they just you know there's nothing to identify with yeah so here is the complete opposite where they're like very much real people I mean you look at their clothes and the way like the way Harry Dean wears that hat and that jacket and yeah. they're baggy and it's just like feels like that's really what he'd be wearing yeah that's what's comfortable for him and smoking and hanging out there yeah i don't know and and everyone is at least super competent in their job of what they're supposed to do you know Mm -hmm. they're piling a ship through space like you need to know what you're doing yeah um but they're regular just truck drivers in space it's such a great Mm -hmm. concept uh it really is it's a it was a great way to sum up Mm mm-hmm who these people are these are people who get dirty they get down in the dirt they need this is these people who have to do this like that's part of their whole thing is like they need to make sure they get paid they can't live they're beholden to this corporation and they're so they're just regular joes trying to make sure they can you know pay the pay the car note (laughs) at the end of the month you know well and it doesn't even feel like they are you never really know a lot about them you you know they're, they're minor they're not i mean they're not really miners. They're 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 more exactly like truck drivers in that they're going, they're picking up right. ore that's been mined. That's right, and that's they're bringing right. it back to Earth. So yeah. they're towing it. They're essentially a oh, they're t- yeah, tow they're, truck drivers. You're right, really. right. Yeah. But there's you know obviously the ship's so huge, you need a crew. So, yeah. um, so you know the, one of the first shots we see is the big giant Nostromo, and it's towing all this stuff, look like rock. Yeah. You know? um, uh, another cast member is Veronica Cartwright. Yeah. Who originally was cast as Ripley. Whoa. Uh, and well, when they. You imagine? Yeah, because Sigourney Weaver was one of the last ones cast. Mm-hmm. So for quite a way through pre production, Veronica Cartwright was Ripley. Wow. And um, once they had started seeing Sigourney, they, you know, they, they pretty much just told. <laughs> Veronica, who was there and like doing wardrobe tests and everything as Ripley, oh, wow. that she was now going to be Lambert. She wasn't super happy about that. Yeah, she you know I didn't want to be the like crying you know kind of crazy one. Yeah. of the group, but she's also really good at playing those kind of characters. Yep. Yeah, she. I, I bought her horror. You know, her terror. Oh yeah, every second. Yeah, like she's scared. <laughs> this is going to go badly. And she's she had a whole history of horror movies. She was a, a child actor, was in The Birds. Oh, yeah. And then, again, you know, about 
15 years later, we see her in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm. where she's kind of a similar character to Lambert. Mm. But genius movie, that one, that one's gold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so this helped her kind of, she already knew the world of being in a horror movie. Sure. Uh, John Hurt was one of the last ones cast. He, mm. was, uh, he was actually Ridley Scott's number one choice for Kane, mm-hmm. uh, but was unavailable. He was doing a movie in South Africa. So they cast John Finch, who was an actor who was in uh, Hitchcock's Frenzy. But day one of filming, which is the one of the opening sequences where you see them piloting the ship as it goes down into the planet, mm-hmm. uh, they did a few shots with John Finch, and he's like ghostly sick. You can see it on the the um, on the bonus features. You can see the, the oh. footage with him, and uh-huh. he just doesn't look right and and he had to leave the show like that day oh wow uh and it turns out he was diabetic and was having some serious medical things going on oh my gosh so but it ended up opening the door for john hurt to come back because by this point his movies uh gone off the rails and been uh delayed so he was now available oh nice so you get john hurt back okay welcome back john uh ian holm who plays ash Mm. uh big time character actor in England, he'd done about 20 movies by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would see him in many, many more after. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the last thing? What was the most recent thing you remember him in? Uh, remember? I mean, I don't know. Was it like the Hobbit movies? Probably or the showing up in Return the of the King? I feel like he did some stuff after that. I'm but. sure, but I don't think he's been that busy lately. He's been around for a long time, though. Yeah, yeah, because he's, he's very busy. And another guy who maybe his movies weren't always great, but... He was fantastic. Yeah. He's knighted, by the way. He's a sir. Sir? He's, sir Ian Holm? He is. I did not know this. Keep that in mind. I think we need a list of all of our sirs. Uh, sir Sean Connery. Sir Patrick Stewart? I think so. Sir, sir Patrick. Sir Patrick? Well, he no, should have it if maybe. he doesn't already. I don't want to be ignorant. <laughs> but, yeah, no, really, it was The Hobbit was his last, uh, his last like, credit. I mean, he was working all through the 2000s. Too, yeah. But, uh, I mean, you loved him in Garden State. Oh, that's your favorite. Well, that's one of my top movies. <laughs> I get, He provided a voice of Ash in the Alien Isolation game. Ooh, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway. Um, and then uh, Balahi Badejo, hmm. who was a 26-year-old Nigerian who stood 6 feet 10 inches tall, Whoa. just like you, David. I am not 6'10". I'm seven foot three. Uh, Ridley discovered him and and knew right away that he, this guy has the body type that he wanted for the alien. Oh wow! So, yeah, away he goes. Very tall, big arms, stretching out that costume, and his head was like a giant, elongated, elongated like the, skull. Like, yeah. yeah. So it fit the designs, of the Giger designs. <laughs> they fit perfectly. the costume literally just around his body. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and a, a big part of the development of this movie is the drawings that are being made. The drawings by Ron Cobb and Foss and Giger are really um, putting, doing a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of the early work for Ridley Scott. Like, it, it was really mapping it out for him to make it easier when he got into production, which is the whole point of storyboards. But Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, these ones are just particularly so well drawn, and they had... Uh, those guys had been drawing artwork for 
comic books and magazines and for quite some time and they had a really particular kind of style of drawing that uh worked worked well for for ridley Hmm. um so we've got this great group of characters and uh we we've got a a really interesting plot that's that's set up where they like you said earlier they get the sos call as they're in hypersleep uh they're woken up that first scene is really beautiful mm-hmm. in that you're just like getting these kind of haunting tracking uh, like steady cam shots through the ship mm-hmm. really getting a view of the ship and what you know where things are mm-hmm. and then you come to their their rebirth yeah yes <laughs> and with mother controlling it all yeah the, the 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 computer system that gives that uh runs things for them yeah and they the they're woken up out of hypersleep and it's like they're coming out of a cocoon it feels like mm. uh they you know hear the distress signal decide to go down and investigate or or get the command that they have to go investigate that's why they're being woken up yeah the corporation they work for in, uh, demands that 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 they they always answer those kinds of things, uh, or they won't get paid. So yeah, and that's a great moment too when they when they are talking about that after mm-hmm. they've just woken up. Like mm-hmm. everything's about the money. Yeah, like that's what's on their mind. That they have to worry about paying the bills. They're not. That's. Uh, I'm buzzing. Whoa, you're popular. Whoa, it's Ridley Scott. Look at all the texts from Ridley. He wants you on his next project. But part of, you know, what's, what's like I was just mentioning, while, they, while we're setting everything up on the ship mm-hmm. is the tone. The tone is set for this movie, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beautiful score from Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Um, the, every visual <laughs> that's happening, like, when you see the outside of the ship and the planets, the matte paintings of the planets, the interiors of the ship... When they go down to the planet, the uh, the the planet itself, the derelict ship, the the uh, room with the eggs, everything is just this beautiful visuals, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is H.R. Giger driven, and and the rest of these guys. Yeah, the um, they find the space jockey, mm-hmm. which is a whole like. For years, it was unknown what the hell that was. <laughs> Not until really Prometheus did it really get like fully answered, right? Well, or most or kind of answered. Yeah, but we don't know right now. What yeah, worth. So it's a strange alien world. I love the what was interesting when they see it and you see it, and it's an interesting picture. But then it's like when you watch the video uplink when they go out and walk toward it, it actually felt more real. Like in scale and size, as though they're walking toward it, like as though the it's a giant ship, yeah, that, unlike anything you've ever seen, and uh, I, I that actually always that always grabs me more than like when they first reveal it and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like you see it from the perspective of like six feet off the ground and walking toward it, and it, it's on videotape basically. Yeah, you know the the way the signal looks. Um, it seems more real, like. Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't, at, especially then. Like, there wasn't a lot of home video stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you hadn't really seen a lot of POV video, kind of POV before. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. So, and then the the, the you know the way it comes in and out of reception mm-hmm. definitely adds to the realism. Yeah, 
and you're just seeing it kind of made me think of Cloverfield. Yeah, a little bit. You know, you're just seeing glimpses of it, like quick. Yeah, you can't focus too much because the camera's kind of jostling all yeah. the time, or you know, they're moving around. Uh, so it is that scary unknown that they're heading toward, and yeah, um, and it looks so alien. You know, it's just so unlike Ding. anything. Uh, every time we say the word, <laughs> that should be a bell. <laughs> when we say the name of the they, movie, they actually said it a lot more in the movie. It just got cut out. <laughs> um, this planet is so alien to me. Yeah. But it's just that, yeah, the production design and the, just how, like, they're just sort of crammed in there, kind of thing. Like that, even the ship is big, but it's. It just feels very well, like you're contained. Claustrophobic. You know? I mean, yeah. is is a whole is part of the tone that they. Same thing on their on the Nostromo that, the corridors don't seem particularly narrow. It doesn't look like a submarine. No, but you feel the pressure of the walls and you feel the pressure of the space that they, you're not getting out of here. Yeah, well, that's what's so amazing about how they did it that there's so much detail in every every inch on the walls there's always something going on there components and and piping and all this stuff that it's the whole ship feels kind of alive and like around them yeah like it, it surrounds them yeah the time. Uh, even in their communal area which is kind of nice and open and they 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 dine but you see just the all the lines and the the t- sort of the tubing of the walls and everything obviously giger influenced and and sort of related to what they come across. Yeah. It's just like, it's very different. It's sci-fi. It's like, it's it's the future, but it's, it's dirty and has a very distinct look. Uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's so cool to, every time I watch it, like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. It's not like the Starship Enterprise, you know? It's a dirty, it's, yeah. like, functional ship. Well, and they, they get like some of the look from 2001 and Star Wars. You can see that, you yeah. know, all the mechanical kind of stuff, but it's got a different style to it. And, you know, Michael Seymour, the production designer, and Roger Christian, and they, they did such an amazing job of really giving all the, like the walls, like you're saying, are just, so have so much character. Mm-hmm. There's pipes everywhere, like exposed pipes and the curvature of everything. Yeah. Um, lights and and smoke you know like the smoke effect or you know yeah or, or like steam effects and it's wet and yeah it's dirty and it's um yeah it doesn't look clean you know it, that's you, you were just saying that but yeah, yeah like the way the helmets sit on the i don't know the helmet rests i always thought that was an interesting looking mm-hmm. image um you know that combined with the way the pacing and the tone of the movie uh, by editor Terry Rawlings, mm-hmm. and the score really just puts you in this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time I watch the movie, like I get sucked into it because there's no. It's so different. It's so unique in its its own environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that talking about the pacing of the movie. That's also one of the most important elements to making a movie like this work. That it's so different from horror movies, most horror movies, really, because they're you know, a lot of them are about the next scare, and very few of them are just really have long moments of quiet mm-hmm. and uh, tension building. You know, it's almost like a Hitchcockian kind of flavor in some of this, too. Yeah. That just you have that. 
right away you know something bad is going to happen to them. <laughs> you don't know how or you don't know where or when. Yeah. And that's the trick. Yeah. And they have no idea. This is every day for them. Yeah. You know, the slow pace when they're awake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then that allows that everything to just start to ramp up. Yeah. And then it's like new problem, new problem. Got to solve it. Got to survive it. You know, like that, that, the nice sort of slow, deliberate pace in the beginning just sucks you right in yeah Yeah. i you know every time i'm i I know this is gonna sound cheesy but i am always like on the edge of my seat every time i watch it especially (laughs) when they go down to the planet and and dallas kane and lambert go into the egg chamber and you they just keep going and you're like stop Stop, like if i were you i would not be going doing (laughs) anything of what you're doing yeah yeah it's like the the giant space jockey thing. Like once I saw that, and saw what might have happened to it. Yeah. An exploded chest, something on its face. Mm-hmm. Can't really tell exactly what's what. Um, not a good idea. Yeah. You know? uh, a giant chamber of eggs. I I turn around and and leave those situations when they happen to me. Yeah. Well, don't they watch scary movies in the future? <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> Apparently of not. No, I don't know. <laughs> Didn't they have a copy of Scream on the... <laughs> they were watching Scream, yeah. But that's a different kind of horror movie. Different horror movie. Like... Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, also another another thing I noticed actually on this particular viewing that we did together when we watched it. Yeah. Uh, the color palette changes through the movie. Mm, yeah. In the beginning, you've you've got the white, you know, especially when they're born in the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got light white colors the hallways the the common area mm-hmm. their their costumes and then as it g- goes on you've got more and more darker you get into grays and then almost like almost like complete black by the end of the movie yeah yeah everything's super dark where when ripley is you know the last survivor spoiler mm-hmm. alert um you know and then on the uh narcissus at the end it's just completely dark colors everywhere yeah, yeah. It's an arc. There's an there's an arc to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a few different versions of the movie. What? Yeah, believe it or not. What? Uh, you know, the main version was the theatrical one, which had been the one on home video and that everyone's seen for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it hit Laserdisc, you get some deleted scenes that uh, were long talked about but rarely seen. Uh, especially the big moment. It's only about a minute, minute and a half, but it it does add a little bit to it. What's um, the scene that you're talking about? The big scene is where you know Ripley is the last survivor, and she's back and forth from the escape pod to the ship, and she hears a sound and goes into this. You, know, you don't even know what which room it is, but with her her flame thrower, she you can see that like there's growth all over the walls and as she pans across it you see cocoons of Dallas and Brett. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh and Dallas is still alive and and they actually have a moment, you know, where he wants he wants her to kill him. Yeah. Pretty much exactly like what happens in Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh and she does. And that's you get a kind of a conclusion to what happened to Dallas. Right, because it just sort of disappears on you. Yeah, and the, the theatrical one, you know, you're following him in a, a beautiful sequence of him 
kind of climbing through the air ducts trying to lure the creature out Mm -hmm. and these great shots of the ducts like closing and like right around his head Mm -hmm. and just you feel how claustrophobic he must be feeling right um and then he's uh, abducted by the alien and Mm -hmm. You know, they say when they find it, there's his weapon, but no blood and no Dallas. All so right. you never know what happens to him. Wow. So And they never revealed it originally. No. That's interesting. No. Then the Laserdisc was one of the first places you could see it. And then in 2003, they came out with a, a theatrical run of the director's cut. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was great to finally see it all as all one cohesive piece. And I feel like it does add a difference. Yeah, I think so. Um, they basically cut it for time and pacing that... Hmm. You know, they wanted to keep this pace of her, this frenetic energy at the end. She's running and scrambling to escape and then stopping that for two minutes while, you know, you have this scene. While it looks good, it stops the pace of the movie. Yeah. No, it makes sense to cut it in that sense. Yeah. It's very good. Um, She shows mercy by ending him. Let's talk about the alien. Okay. So the, the xenomorph. Yeah. Well, and it's not even called a xenomorph in this movie. It's it's right that I don't, I don't think it appears no. anywhere. No. Oh, they call it an organism, right? I think the computer calls it an organism. Organism. Um, creature. Yeah. But like, no, they're not calling it. <laughs> they're not giving it a name. Yeah. Uh, that that comes along in aliens. Uh, there's four phases of the of the creature and. You know, a, a fair amount of design went into each phase of it. So is that the face sucker? Well, you've got the egg. Oh, the egg. Yeah. The egg has, I think, its own phase, yeah. which was so, I mean, real looking because they were using real stuff. Animal they were using, and, like, yeah, yeah, like cow liver and mm-hmm. and uh, just really, really gross, gross looking things. Gross, <laughs> gross stuff to cram in this, like, yeah. ugh, this sack. Yeah. Uh, where the face hugger resides, right? Right. And now, originally, going back to what we said about what's happening to Dallas and Brett, so these, what the original concept was is that they'd take whatever human or, or whatever thing and make it a host, and you would it would melt into the egg. And that's what was happening to Dallas and Brett. They were becoming the egg. Oh. oh. Yeah. Oh. Which is... Don't ask me how that would happen, but seems pretty painful and awful. So, wait, does that mean that the face huggers, their job isn't to find other organisms and do this with? Or they go from, like, they're they're born out of the egg. The face huggers are born out of the egg. But then their job is to use living organisms as an as a Correct. an incubator as a, yeah as a host or a yeah. host or so. okay that, yeah. that's which that's what i thought the yeah yeah but yeah. The, to think of it as like the human the body is an egg right but i mean i guess it's a incubator yeah, yeah. totally yeah huh. yeah okay so that's part two yeah so that's part one the face huggers part two part two yeah so the face hugger bursts out and and you know would burst right onto the face of whatever's whatever it could get to really and, and does a bit of uh Mouth, mouth stuff. exploration, mouth stuff, <laughs> mouth stuff, uh, non consensual, yeah, assault, which is uh, part of the theme, one of the themes of the movie, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it uh shoves a tentacle 
probably yeah you know down uh i hope it's a tentacle yeah the host's throat (laughs) and into their stomach of and it plants an egg down there another egg oh okay uh once uh, that egg is able to sustain itself in the host the face huggers basically dies it it releases Mm -hmm. it and that's its lifespan yeah so it's sort of like you know it only exists to do this yes that's its only purpose yeah um and even that, they used like intestines of other animals. And w- when they, you see Ash kind of examining it after they've taken it off Kane's face, uh-huh. uh, it's a very real looking. Yes, it, it looks like when if you did an autopsy, and uh, uh, autopsy in high school biology, yeah. like you're looking at the organs and all that, and inside a a creature, a yeah. corpse. Uh, yeah, and they used like shellfish. The 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 um, concept of a shellfish as the exterior of it yeah it's kind of like this knuckly crab yeah looking thing with a long tail uh and then phase three would be the chest burster mm. which as the egg grows and hatches inside one's stomach it uh eats its way out of you bursts through your chest or your you know wherever your yeah. abdomen and um you know, and kills the hosts, mm-hmm. which in this case is Kane, right? And then takes off quickly, <laughs> and you never really learn why it grows within hours to be this giant seven foot tall yeah. thing uh, to its final phase, which yeah. is commonly known as the xenomorph. Yeah, the big black dude. <laughs> Not black dude, but yeah, but they're black, bl- gray, they're black. black, and color. gray black. Yeah, they're yeah. with the giant heads. The the face uh, the chest burster it's you know it it sort of resembles the xenomorph in a sense, mm. but it's obviously small mini small, version but I just love that it has like silver teeth yeah <laughs> just like, I mean the the old, the bigger one does too but yeah. it, it looks like this fleshy you know red pink like gross thing with an evil looking face and these <laughs> and these you think, triangle like silver teeth do you think it looks like a penis with teeth uh I do now. <laughs> there you go. There, there's that image. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, yeah. yeah. So speaking of the chest burster, though, that's the most, would you say that's the most famous scene in the movie? I mean, it's an iconic I think so, horror yeah. scene. Yeah, from that movie, sure. Yeah. And when they filmed it, so, you know, Kane goes into some kind of convulsion while after he awakens and and something's wrong and they hold him down and the, the uh, chest burster comes come reveals itself yeah so when they filmed this sequence they the actors knew that in concept what was gonna what was gonna happen mm-hmm. uh and they filmed filmed it with john hurt doing the whole the whole scene and then they broke for lunch they sent all the actors away except john hurt kept him behind changed out the table and had a dummy body on the table with John Hurt's head sticking through a hole in the table mm-hmm. where his body was underneath. And they were going to get reaction shots from the chest burster coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, did not tell any of the actors what was going to happen here. Mm-hmm. So they load this thing up with blood and, and mm-hmm. you know, grossness. Call the actors back from lunch the actors walk in and see immediately that everything is covered with plastic. The cameras are covered in plastic. That all the crew has 
raincoats on basically yeah and they're like something's up here yeah. uh and then you can actually check out the footage of it they what the actors didn't know was how much blood was going to come out mm-hmm. and exactly what moment yeah so every reaction you see is genuine fear from them yeah. when when massive amounts of blood come squirting out and you can see there's a take where it hits veronica cartwright right in the face yeah and she ends up slipping and falling in complete hysterics oh my god (laughs) and ian holm kind of runs right in front of her and then it kind of focuses to him yeah yeah. but there's a shot where you can see her legs go up in the air (laughs) i didn't even catch the legs but she took it like the worst like right right in the face and that's the shot in the movie yeah you get the natural reaction to this craziness yeah yeah cool uh and then it's a you know a survival game for the rest of them once, once they know what the hell's going on here. Yeah, you, you, you have to deal with this thing. You got to go find that little thing. Yeah, because if it could just burst out of your someone's chest, like, who knows? And you know, there's so much logic in this movie, in the story. There's, you know, A leads to B leads to C. Lead, you know, they, yeah, nothing is really like some wild thing that wouldn't make sense. I think everything that that is happening is stuff that they would actually do. Yeah. Yeah, they're not suddenly different kinds of people making odd choices. You know, th- this is what you would expect yeah. these people to do. Uh, yeah, it, it all makes sense. It's a, it's a tight script. And unlike certain shows that just finished airing, hmm. uh, this stays loyal to the characters yeah. and what motivates them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, Kane is, you, you know, you can see in the beginning that Kane's the one who wants to explore. He goes out there. So it makes sense that he would really be interested in this egg chamber and why, you know, well, yeah, we should check it out. We should explore. How fascinating is that? Yeah. You've never seen anything like it. Dallas is the hesitant captain that you see him like, you know, kind of be cautious about making decisions. Yeah. Too cautious. And Ripley doesn't want them, you know, is following protocol and says they can't, you know, there's a organism there. They can't let them back on the ship. Yeah. Ash lets him on, and you find out his ulterior motives later on. So we talked a lot about the, um, you know, or we mentioned the uh, idea, the concept of the alien planting something down your throat. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, sexual themes going on here in this movie. There's some, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sexual imagery in in Gears' work. You know, the design work Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of this is about the fear of penetration, about, Mm. you know, being raped, essentially, Mm. you know, having something put into your body against your will, Mm -hmm. whether it's male or female. It's, you know, there's no the the aliens, not objective like they're subjective like that. It's it's going after whatever it can get. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what sex it is. Yeah, it doesn't. It's very vague if there are there is a sex to this creature, right? Yeah, Could they like they, they do they even mate with each other or whatever? Probably right? Not. Yeah, I mean it doesn't seem even with aliens, it doesn't seem that like anything mates with a queen, right? Right. Although we're not even at that stage, all we see is this one the life cycles of this one alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a single one. Uh, yeah, I mean it's the, the whole thing of this. Yeah, this that sexual theme that you know, sort of like motherhood in, in itself is a theme. You know, and yeah. it's very obvious with 
naming her, naming basically a character mother. Yeah. Um, and the ship know, is and mother. The imagery yeah. and the um, like the you know their their birth in the beginning and um, and then you know fearing fearing what you give birth to you know yeah <laughs> like fearing your your offspring uh, from being being not what you expected yeah um, which I'm I'm, I'm sure is a, a, a fear uh, at a certain point. <laughs> For, yeah, you know, you don't know what you're you don't know what you're in for. Well, yeah, I mean, and as a as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, when you after you have kids, there is a fear of like what what's this person going to be like, you know, yeah. how you know, you question what decisions you make as a parent and how's that really going to affect this kid and because maybe you think it's the right decision doesn't mean that it it really is for that person, but yeah. um ultimately you can't totally control it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, obviously, you're giving birth to a monster. This thing, yeah, yeah. That, and then all it does, and it's all its existence for is to reproduce, yeah. like to just to continue generating uh, and passing on and going forward. Yeah. So it, that's it's it's very it is very alien because it's not that's there's not humanity isn't exactly like that. Like we have a they say it's part of our DNA to to pass on to do this, but not, not like that, <laughs> you yeah. know, not, not, uh, no matter what kind of situation, um, that the, the aliens are doing. Yeah. I mean, they're very, um, very simple. Yeah. You know, they have, they have one motivation to just reproduce at whatever cost. Well, that's why like, and, and by force. And that's why when Ash is sort of saying how much he admires the, the alien, that it, it exists for, with a very specific, uh, you know, set of, criteria um you know they 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 survive they don't have morality they're survivors yeah they're perfect you know which you know if you and at the at that time you don't know ash is an ai when he's saying this yeah you don't you don't you find don't that out till th- more than three quarters of the way through the movie yeah yeah going so he so he's just this like why is this this science officer guy like admiring this alien that's like that's killed <laughs> that's killed it's like yeah it doesn't it's it's an odd thing right well he has no real reaction when kane i mean and you don't really know they don't focus on it mm-hmm. but he doesn't really have any kind of reaction to kane getting killed mm-hmm. he's much more interested in studying the organism he makes a few comments here and there about about that yeah uh but you don't really find out till after dallas is gone and there's kind of a question of who's the next leader going to be. Uh, you get Ripley who goes into the the computer mother and discovers the true purpose of their mission. Yeah. And and on top of that, it's mentioned. Dallas kind of casually mentions that their regular science officer got like the flu or pneumonia or something and was replaced by Ash at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So Ash isn't a part of their regular crew. He's just along for the ride on this mission. Yeah. And now we know why, because this was their, per- this was their mission the whole time. Yeah. This was a setup by the company. They had, they were aware of this. So they sent them on that path Yeah. to intercept it. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's, and that, and the orders are that the, the human beings on the ship are expendable. They don't matter. <laughs> like yeah. get the, get the creature back to earth at all costs. And those are concepts right there that carry through the entire franchise. And a lot of the motivation for Prometheus and alien covenant, mm-hmm. 
you know, in, in theory, those are the same story elements that are from the first movie. Yeah. So if there are people that don't like that story element, well, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. been there from the beginning yeah. almost. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it. um yeah so they want to weaponize this creature that we have no idea you don't know anything about the company Mm -hmm. you don't know where how would they have known about this yeah these creatures why would they have known yeah it's not really it doesn't really matter yeah like it's that and there it's part of the theme or or sort of this philosophy of a like an anti-corporatism of you know all everyone all everyone depends on the corporation to survive in this movie. Every, you know that that's how they make their living. Right. They're on their ship. That's the corporation that runs everything, and this is sort of a uh, against that. Maybe yeah. that messaging well, of relying on corporate corporate entities. You get the sense that the corporation is like the company is like um, Big Brother, sort of. Yeah. Kind like of controlling, if you you know, there's there's not a lot of information, but you get the feeling that they're much more than just you know a company. Yeah, yeah, and the, and that's like they will forsake humanity for progress. You know, so they don't they don't they they create robots that that view humans as immoral, right? And um, so they 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 need to have that perspective of of not having morals to do whatever it takes for them to benefit. And uh, that's a crappy message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, didn't, and it doesn't work out for most of our heroes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, speaking of heroes, I was talking to somebody earlier about the... Who? I. It's confidential. Okay. All right, it was Kevin Costner. All right. All right. Where were you and Kevin? We talk talking? about Alien every, <laughs> every Sunday. Every Sunday. Um, you know there's a lot of discussion about the sexuality of of ripley's character in this movie Mm -hmm. uh and and i find it to go back and forth that she is you know especially once she takes kind of control of the situation um you know there's a few moments where you they portray her sexually Uh, okay um yeah you know not in an overly sexual way like they would in horror movies that followed this mm-hmm. more of the slasher kind of way that they portrayed women mm-hmm. um but there's questionable scene you know the scenes at the end where she's you know got very skimpy underwear on and you can see you know you can almost see her breasts when she's climbing into the spacesuit. and is that really necessary right i mean no, it's not. And and mm-hmm. did it have to be in there? No, not really. Did she have to immediately take her clothes off right at the you know yeah. as soon as she's in the escape pod? Yeah. No, it 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 does almost serve the story of that vulnerability. Exactly. That's, I mean, that you kind of have to yeah. go with that. Well, um, yeah, she's she's removing all her layers. Yeah. And and, and kind of like letting her guard down is really what that is. Yeah. I think was what the purpose was. Yeah. I don't, th- I think if you, if you altered it in some way, you wouldn't lose it, but I get the, I get the idea from a storytelling point of view. Yeah. Where a lot of some, like a lot of those things are just exploitive in a right. Like, especially in a slasher film, it's just exploitation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, another level to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. And then ultimately, I mean, she's like, we mentioned on our, our, uh, our favorites episodes mm-hmm. uh, that 
you know, she's one of the strongest female characters there in film history. Hmm. I mean, the fact that she can, a young, inexperienced, uh, in this kind of situation, person is able to fight this being off, and then again and again and again, and she gets stronger and more with more resolve in each movie. Yeah. Um, but I think she's an admirable character mm-hmm. that she keep her she keeps her wits in the face of adversity and and. Uh, is able to kind of you know survive mm-hmm. yeah everyone else dies around her yeah <laughs> and she's always the one to to survive uh, i always saw dallas as a weak character mm-hmm. i mean because and i think tom scarrett did a great job of portraying the fear you know yeah he's the captain of the ship but he's not ready to handle this whole situation and he's very panicky in his voice he's you know, very like aggressive and just like, just damn it, listen to me. Just do what I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. without a lot of logic. And yeah, well, he's, he's, he's having emotional reactions and using his power uh, as the captain to, um, to influence what goes on. Even, even he, even when he wants her to break protocol, like she's following the rules, things that are put in place to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she would never do that. Even if Kane's life was on the line, which it clearly was. Yeah. She wasn't going to break protocol because then they would all die. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, like, yeah. and, and, uh, so she has to face that adversity, like that. She's not even able to do the job she's supposed to with the power she's given. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Ash. Who is, who, ha- if Ash wasn't following his protocols, probably be a different story, but, uh, I this is kind of all, just related to Ash for a second. Mm-hmm. A little side story. Uh, I love side stories. When I got to college in Santa Fe, New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the movies that I was all my friends. I was just meeting up with, like whoever hadn't seen Alien, that I would make them watch it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was with my friend Jenny, who had never seen it, mm-hmm. and we're maybe about halfway through the movie, and my friend Jared comes into our you know the room and it's like oh hey what are you watching oh alien he clearly sees what part we're at it's like oh did you get to the part where ash is a robot <laughs> just what like ruins the movie oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> nice job jared so i beat him and yeah. then kicked him out of the room appropriate and, response yeah. absolutely uh so i always associate ash with that memory <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the uh, promotion of the movie after it came out, um, they had there's more cool images of poster concepts. Um, uh, you know uh, the advert prints and advertising that was getting out there. Yeah, if you I don't know how much people think about this, but if you look at the poster, that egg is nothing like the egg in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Just that's a, a from a hen <laughs> that just cracked with light coming out of it. Yeah, but it doesn't look anything like the actual egg from the movie because when they did it, I don't think they, you know, when they shot the poster, I don't think they knew what the egg was gonna fully be by that right. point. Right. Or whoever was doing it, you know, some marketing division at Fox didn't necessarily have all the storyboards and footage. It's not like today where you can like get it immediately. Yeah. You're seeing them back in the days of film. Film, things were gritty. Seventies, real. They screened it in a few places. Uh, I, well, I want to say it was New Orleans, the first place they, or St. Louis, mm-hmm. uh, the first place they screened it, and 
there were sound problems and some technical projection errors and the movie it was t- terrible like oh, no. did not you know, go the way it should have gone mm-hmm. and uh but a few nights later they retested it in dallas everything went smoothly and people were like blown away yeah uh people were the, <laughs> the scene with kane where kane's death and the birth of this uh alien people were like literally going to the back of the theater to get further away from the screen because oh, they wow. were so grossed out there were ushers who were throwing up in the lobby and <laughs> like it was a it was a strong reaction to this movie because you so. hadn't seen yeah something this i don't want to say grotesque but this like visceral you mm-hmm. know and and real mm-hmm. there was always a, a a separation of like the the violence and the um mechanics of it you mm-hmm. know of the horror of the death that this like took kind of a close-up to yeah like it's true violence being enacted yeah you know and you're seeing it yeah yeah like you're seeing the puncturing and the yeah popping out of body parts and oh yeah you know it's kind of a little bit david cronenberg-ish mm, yeah mm-hmm. um who's also another director kind of fascinated with the human body and it yeah morphing and changing um the i love the trailer for this movie it's it's very it's really intense and they actually redid it for covenant alien covenant yeah was like a direct kind of remake of the original alien trailer it's this high-pitched you know score Mm -hmm. and you're just really seeing mostly the end of the movie with ripley kind of running running through the ship and it's very frenetic yeah uh, but a great way to set it up. And it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah, you don't know what exactly you're in for. And then certainly, like, if if that trailer hooks you and then you start the movie, like, it's nothing like the trailer. Like, yeah. the movie is slow. It goes through that thing, <laughs> that pace. So uh, it helps ratchet up the the end there. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, that that's a that's definitely a hook. Yeah. Uh, very thrilling. Oh, all, always with the thrills, these guys. <laughs> Is it, do they say it in the trailer in space? No one can hear you scream. No, that, or is that, that only on the poster? That's only on the poster. Okay. The um, and there was a lot of different like taglines on the poster. Mm-hmm. Like there was one that just says "warning, warning, warning," oh. and it's a shot of, which is on several of the poster designs, but like a silhouette of the astronaut, you know, or the um, you know, them in their suits, their suits oh, okay. on the planet, like walking across the landscape. Uh, it's all drawn. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and one of the posters I really fell in love with, it was never released, it was a conceptual only, was dr- was drawn by Drew Struzan, and it's this weird-looking image of an astronaut kind of tumbling over himself in space, like almost entangled within himself. Mm-hmm. But it's like a mix of like an astronaut and a cloud, like kind of all together. It's, it's a beautiful image, but I wish... Um, Drew Struzan, if you're listening, call me mm-hmm. on my 800 number. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my 900 number. You'll yeah. have to. That is you know, a toll call. That is a toll call. <laughs> um, uh, I'd love a copy of that if you could just give it. <laughs> give it to me. I'm sure it's in your garage. Sure, yeah. Um, and I, you know, let me just go back to the score for a second. Okay. I love this damn yeah, score. Well, yeah, it's beautiful. Sure, it's haunting. It's um. I don't know why, but I feel like like when I want to just listen to something quietly, like I this score doesn't scare me, but it sets a tone. Mm, 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't know, kind of a somber kind of tone. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it, it lulls you into that. Yeah. Uh, it's very deliberate. Very so when I'm in a mood, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm shaking my fist right now, I but I am. Violently. When I'm in a mood. Oh my God. I'll throw on this score. Um, should we talk a little BO? Want to talk a little box office? Sure, yeah. What do you got? What happened? So the uh, as we said, the budget was uh, started out at about eight million. I've also seen it ranging up to about eleven million, mm-hmm. which is a good good chunk. Sure, it's good 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 chunk. Obviously, of change. you got sets to design, you've got mm-hmm. uh, costumes to build and mm-hmm. worlds to create. Uh, it was filmed July fifth through October twenty first, nineteen seventy eight, at Shepherd and Studios in England. Mm. Uh, Ridley Scott, very, I'm sure, very happy to be uh, staying at home and not having to come to dreary Los Angeles. Right. A Fox lot. Ugh. Was there a lot back in the 79? Yeah, it was a Fox lot. Same place it is now? Same place. It wasn't as uh, as big as it is now. Sure. But, uh, the uh, opening weekend, the limited release, was, uh, which, which premiered on May 25th, 1979, at the Egyptian in uh, Hollywood when it was known as Grauman's Egyptian Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a limited uh, opening weekend. It was uh, $3.5 million that that weekend. Yeah. Uh, and then it eventually, uh, I think within a couple of weeks, had a more wide release. Yeah. Um, it was uh, number one that weekend. It ran in about 757 theaters, I think. Uh, it had an 80, almost an $81 million domestic run. Uh, worldwide, it was about 105 million. Baby, baby. So you know, even let's just say they put 11 million into it. That's uh, a very successful hit. It's a nice return. So Alan Ladd, you know, after greenlighting this, taking the chance that you know, riding the wave from Star Wars, the sci-fi wave was mm-hmm. was the right call. I think uh, he ended up uh, proved that it was it was the right call to make. I think you're right. Um, this was the number five movie of 1979 between what Star Trek The Motion Picture and Apocalypse Now. Wow. Uh, it's the number four movies, as far as box office goes, of the Alien franchise. Hmm. You know what number one was? Probably Prometheus? Yes. Number two. Al- mm, Alien. Yes. Yes. Can you get number three? Alien Covenant. Wrong. Oh. Dead wrong. Aliens versus Predator. Oh, all right. Yeah, all right. believe it or not. I don't even accept that as part of the franchise. People love that is. stuff. Why? Why it's not? T- yeah. You, Why you, not? It's you terrible. Got, you got psyched when that movie was announced. No. You got psyched. I like the we, comic book. We all got psyched. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Freddy versus Jason. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? The Titans of Horror? <laughs> <laughs> in uh, one movie <laughs> but if you adjust it for inflation mm-hmm. aliens still number one okay yeah all right so mm-hmm. i can find a way to win out of any scenario here. okay fine <laughs> um alien is the number six uh ranking sigourney weaver film oh uh ranking between aliens and a little movie you might know as Vantage Point. Oh. Haven't heard of it? It's from <laughs> it's from two thousand eight or ten or with Sean something. Penn. Is it? I don't know. No, it's not. I feel like Sean Penn might be in there. Sure, yeah, he's in it. Why not? <laughs> Christopher Lambier? I don't know. 
I don't think he's been in a movie since 1993. But, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, critics uh, actually didn't really love the movie when it first came out. There was a lot of mixed reviews. Huh. It was um, Leonard Malton, Variety, Sight and Sound magazine. They all didn't like it. Uh, Time Out magazine said it was expensive trickery and imaginative poverty. Ooh. Yeah. That's harsh. I like the poetry of that, yeah. of that phrase. <laughs> wow. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't see how they could dislike this movie so much. But You know, people are afraid of, of new things. Yeah. You know, this uh, changed every, this is, this is a game changer too. Yeah. It's a different kind of space movie. Yeah. Well, Roger Ebert called it an intergalactic haunted house. Come on. It's like. That's pretty good. Yeah, but it's so much more than that. Well, sure, yeah. I don't know how you could watch this movie and just see it as that. I'm sure you had more to say. Yeah, yeah, But, I mean, so, to sum it up as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, Siskel was a lot more of a fan. He gave it three out of four stars. He uh, really praised Sigourney Weaver, and that, that's a common thing. The actors all got kind of positive reviews. Yeah, everyone in um, it's good. And really, the funny thing is, by the time the mid-90s roll around, almost all those negative reviewers had turned around on it and ranked it in their like top 10s and 20s. And yeah. um, it got its, it's got its due respect over time. Yeah, once, once something is just uh, so embedded in pop culture, um, you start to see in a new light. Like, you start the mass uh, uh, acceptance of this thing. You know, it's like... Uh, a, a Transformers movie obviously does very well at a box office, but people don't don't people don't talk about the Transformers movies, right. for example, as like sort of any anything other than what they are. Um, just these my, like these mindless action cartoons, yeah, you know. But um, so box office success doesn't uh, translate necessarily. Oh yeah, definitely. But so, but people aren't talking about the Transformers. But Alien sustained. Alien got its following. Oh yeah, I and mean then, it was. Uh, it- Go ahead. Finish and I think you get to, and I think it's like, if it's something you haven't seen before, if you haven't taken, t- taken the time to really look at what the movie could be like, obviously Ridley Scott, he's, and he said it in other interviews and time and again, he's like, he didn't really have a, he didn't have an agenda. He was just trying to make a thrilling movie, Yeah. but everything that's embedded in all the layers of the script and the imagery and the story, you can pull apart and talk about the themes and philosophies behind it. And you can, it goes into a huge, like a- academic um, kind of discussions. You can really get into w- what's represented here. Yeah. And, um, and I like when it's an inadvertent, like he doesn't have an agenda, but the reason all these things sort of work is because the t- it's a tight script and hits all those themes yeah. naturally. And it's sort of like, yeah, you can look back and say, well, wait, there's a lot more going on here. Oh Yeah. And it is one of those things of like I, as a viewer, I can I can take what I want from it, and you might take something else that like whether it's the like uh, the aggressive uh, sexual nature or the, or the theme of motherhood or sort of the anti corporatism uh, that is just which isn't a strong theme, but it's there. Well, it grows in, later in the franchise. Yeah, uh, but just and humanity and morality, like what w- what we do as human beings, and and is a is uh, are we imperfect because we're moral? It's just uh, yeah. You can you could just go to town on this, just this singular film. So, yeah, um, it, it got a lot of. Uh, it's not just a, an action movie. Yeah, it, it's got it's so much more, depth. It's more than the thrill that he was going for. 
Yeah. Um, what, what a happy accident. So all those, you know, all those negative reviews, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Suck it. Yeah. No, no, cut that out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't want to. No, no, no. There's going to be headlines. Munchak says suck it to film critics. Chopper says suck it. <laughs> suck it, Ebert. And with a picture of you in his grave. And just pointing. Pointing at his headstone. <laughs> um, Sorry, but go ahead. We got lots of awards here. I'm only going to name a few of them, but it's got two Oscar nominations yeah. uh, for art direction and visual effects. It won for visual effects. Hey. Well deserved on both. Uh, it got Jerry Goldsmith and his score got a Golden Globe nomination. It uh, won two Saturn Awards, one for Ridley Scott, one for Veronica Cartwright. Hey. Yeah. Best supporting actress? Uh, Sigourney Weaver was nominated, didn't win though. Oh. Um, and in 2002, it was inducted into the Library of Congress. So, important film, says the Library of Congress. And we listen to them. Yeah. They know what's going Headline. on. Headline. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, we talked about the director's cut coming out. There's been various releases. It's come out on DVD probably, I feel like, 45 times. <laughs> yeah. Um, of which I own 43 of those. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but God, I had this movie, two different kinds of videotapes, two different laser discs. Oh my God. Uh, and then I had it on regular DVD. Then I got the box set and then I got the quadrilogy when it oh came my, out. Wow. Which is what I still have. The quadrilogy. Yeah. I love that. It's this gigantic, I don't know, 12 disc set or something, uh-huh. two movie, two discs for each movie and then other bonus ones. Oh my God. Uh, it's amazing. That's insane. Yeah. If you're a fan of the movie, it's got all the great documentaries and behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And I think even the script, you can like, you know, just read, just read the script. Oh, wow. Which the laser disc had too. That was always a cool feature. Yeah. Read the script. I just read, okay. I just watched the movie though. <laughs> but now read it. Yeah. It's, it's not the same. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but quadrilogy, uh, one of my most favorite made-up words, I think. Oh, it's not a real word. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> so anytime something is in fours, I always like to say, well, that's a quadrilogy. Of course, yeah. And uh, say it unironically. It like is, anything, if you say it enough times, it mm-hmm. becomes true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so we made a word. We made it. We did. Not whoever marketed the DVD. Which we made brilliant. it. brilliant. Yeah. I remember the commercials, the Alien Quadrilogy was coming out, and I <laughs> that stuck with me forever. A, a qua who? Uh-huh. I loved it. I loved it. I think it was perfect. Because um, trilogies were a big deal. If you can make a third movie well, or something, trilogy. Oh, yeah. man. You the got Star it. Star Wars trilogy? Have you heard of it? Yeah. I mean, trilogy. But now this. This is this is uh, 30% more. <laughs> it's a quadrilogy. Anyway. Uh, this movie, you know, is still very uh, much looked upon with high regard from fans. It's uh, yes. arguably the best of the franchise. The it's it's to me, it's the perfect mix. It's a perfect blend of sci-fi, horror, dramatic tension. It's all kind of here, working cohesively together. Mm. With, you know, the input of so many of the department heads and crew, and the writers, and Ridley, and the actors. Um, I dare I say it's a near perfect film. Wow, maybe. I mean, you don't have water bottles and coffee cups showing up in it. Maybe you have you looked hard. Have you looked hard enough? 
I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will now. Take it frame by frame. <laughs> um, you know, the realism of the world that's, you know, like we mentioned, is really what, what sucks you into it and keeps you there. Mm. And logic. Like I said, everything. You love logic. I love logic. You're that's such a Vulcan. That's the thing I really ask for for the mm-hmm. movies. Even if the world that the movie's in is a little much of a stretch, mm-hmm. if logical decisions are made and actions are done within that world, I'm okay with it. The internal logic, yeah, as it were, yeah. You're Unlike okay. Wanted, and they're bending bullets and. That's but no. that's no that's the eternal logic of the of because the movie, it's though. set in our world where yeah. that doesn't exist. But there's also like mystical things going on. No, no, yeah, no, bullshit. It, it was a comic book first. <laughs> nope. It was. It was a, it was a graphic Fine. novel. <laughs> um, and this movie was a big uh, was the career maker for a number of people for Sigourney. Um, Who? Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, she was an icon after yeah. this. Yeah, Ridley and, Scott. And then especially Blue after the second one. Oh, my God. Um, Ridley, this, this you know, made him an A-list director immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dan O'Bannon, who would have his own, you know, I wouldn't say his career was, he was never a household name, but this gave him respect. Mm-hmm. He always had, you know, that he was the writer of Alien, uh, always had that as a calling card. Yeah. Um, you know the the movie was obviously spawned an entire franchise. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of those, and and it certainly had its ups and downs. Uh, you know, it's debatable whether Aliens is the best film of the franchise, uh, or it's this one. But clearly, it's one of the two. They're all very the funny. They're all so different yeah. in a sense. I mean, it, the third one sort of follows more of the the second one, you know, closer. But you I, I feel like the thir- Alien Three follows this much more closely. Well, I guess you're right because it is a single. It's a single one. It, it kind is, of, I, it goes back to the tone of the original one. Even yeah. the score is, mm-hmm. you know, a modernized version of it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a much darker look. Than... That's true. You're right. I'm trying to think of it. It was more action-y. And it is more action because you could fit more action. But right. no, you're right. It is it is more like the first movie, going back to the, the root of it. Yeah. I really liked Alien 3. I'm a big fan. I think Alien 3, especially if you view it as a standalone, it's a great <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is is what they do in the opening 30 seconds yeah. and coming off of Aliens, that yeah. the expectation is so high yeah. that, it's again, it's hard to live up to that. And yeah. The route they chose was uh, debatable whether they should have. There was l- We'll cover Alien 3 because there, there's so much to talk about, all of these movies, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're definitely going to get to Aliens and uh, one of the, another one of the for different reasons one of the greatest movies of all time yeah i mean what a, it's a it's a perfect action movie yeah perfect film of an, yeah of an action genre yeah like with that that successfully follows up the original yeah and yet does its own thing mm-hmm. yeah it's it's and it's a new extension of the whole thing you can't yeah. it wasn't trying to replicate the first one right not at all yeah uh so yeah you got something that was innovative yeah Within this franchise now, you know, two innovative movies in a row. Yeah. How exciting. James Cameron, Aliens. Yeah, I heard he's a good director. He's all right. 
heard he's made some movies. He's a film guy. So, but yeah, and then this movie just, but it, the whole thing was spawned into a gigantic franchise, right? Yeah, one of Fox's uh, biggest, and I guess now Disney's uh, biggest franchises in history. Yeah. Whether, you know, not every movie's been successful, but overall, it's so marketable. Yeah. You have a very clear this look. Look at the xenomorph. Look yeah. at the threat this thing is. What yeah. do you do? And and really, like I don't know if they ever fully. I mean, recently they have with the nostalgia thing and the you know McFarlane style toy you know figures that are out there. Yeah. Um, but you know they could have done a lot more with the marketing of it. Mm-hmm. There was an Aliens arcade game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some figures after Aliens came out, but they were like not exactly like they were. I had them. I had Ripley and Hicks, and Ripley is like wearing this like maroon shirt and these light blue pants, and these has this yellow gun, and it's like not <laughs> like Lord. Sigourney at all. But, Hilarious. Um, and then uh, when I got into the movies in the '90s, I I was a PS One owner, mm-hmm. PlayStation One for uh, those of you not familiar, and the Alien trilogy video game came out. And it was fantastic. Oh. Great game. Oh. You played each movie, you know, you went through each movie and basically like everything that happens in there. Wow. And they have these little video vignettes in between. Oh, neat. Um, that were like quick summaries of the movies. Oh, okay. Um, really fun game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's outdated now, but it was it was a lot of fun to play. Yeah. But it's video games, comic books, uh, yeah. action figures. You, yeah. You're plasting that thing on book bags and lunch boxes and yeah all sorts of stuff uh, the, uh, as this franchise continued to grow yeah brought in the predators yeah the yaltas what are they called the yaktas something like that <laughs> I, don't know. I stayed away from those ones but I, uh, um, I did i did i did sit those out as well one of the uh best uh somewhat related movies i guess is um space balls all right Brilliant. Love that. Brilliant use of, at the end of Spaceballs, spoofing the uh, John Hurt yeah. uh, <laughs> birth of the of the chestburster. Yeah. I do like that he's with a, I don't know who he's with, but another guy, a, a black dude in a trucker hat. Who looks like Jones from uh, Michael oh, Winslow. Oh, Michael Winslow, yeah. yeah. And uh, They all so look like, like each one of them looks like a character from Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, it was so great. It's such a... <laughs> Um, and then, you know, we didn't talk about real quick how this actually, this actually is connected to the Blade Runner franchise. So what's the, the connective tissue between this and Blade Runner? The, uh, Wayland, who's a character in Prometheus and, and he's the one who has, who owns the company who has sent these guys on this, uh, or, you know, was trying to get the alien back Mm -hmm. to earth. Mm Mm-hmm. His one of his uh, mentees is Eldon Tyrell, who's the one of the head, uh, you know, who's developed the robots for or the um, androids for Blade Runner. Ah. So those two That's characters are connected, thus connecting the franchises. Huh. How about that? Yeah. Wow. So the alien universe and the Blade Runner universe are the same. Are like cousins. Huh. Yeah. The Ridley Scottiverse. Exactly. The Scottiverse. Rig- the, the Scott. The, the Scottiverse. Scottiverse. The Scottiverse. Scottiverse. 
That's what he called it. That's what he said. This is mine. The Scottyverse. And uh, there, you know, most recently we mentioned Alien Isolation, which is a game for uh, PS4, right? PC and PS4? Yeah. Maybe just, I don't know. Uh, Brilliant game. Mm -hmm. Very realistic to the movie. Lives um, up to the uh, the first mo- movie. Totally, to I mean that matches the sets, and it takes place after, in between Alien and Aliens, mm. and Ripley's daughter mm. has gone looking for her mother and has taken a ship to go find what happened to the Nostromo. Got it. At this point in the story, she's still missing. Ah. So this is probably fifteen years after Alien. The game takes place. Oh, right. Okay. And it's basically, you know, reliving a lot of what happens in Alien, but it's so well done. Really? And uh, and there's an alternate version where you can actually play the movie Alien, and a lot of the actors, original actors, I think most of them came back to do voices for it. Wow. So instead of being the original characters in this new story, you can just be Ripley or be whoever. Yeah. Apparently, Veronica Cartwright's in it. Yeah, Fikoto. Uh Like we said, Ian Holm. Uh... And I'm sure some I of think these... I think Harry Dean might be the only one who didn't come back. Oh, really? Yeah, that could be. And I'm sure some of these people are... I mean, I guess Sigourney even came back. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Is that a spoiler on the, on the game? Like, no, it's a version. It's like you can unlock it and the, just play the, the movie. movie. That's yeah. so fun. I love that. Which, yeah, I own it and I have yet to do it, but yeah. I'm gonna. You got a lot to do. It's You can't be playing video games all day. You've, sure. got, a, you've got movies to review. Exactly. We've got to recinemize. We've, oh, we've got the entire recons- library. We've library. got a recinema summer coming up. <laughs> Get ready. Get your shades <laughs> and your beach blanket. And my neon pink uh, bathing suit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one hot summer (laughs) at Recon Cinema Studios. Um, Does the movie stand the test of time? I think we've answered that. Yeah, we're... we're, It doesn't... It's timeless. It doesn't age. uh, Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of 70s-ness to their wardrobe a little bit, but... Yeah, well, it's just the the aesthetic, but... You know, the story is is timeless. It's tales all this time. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. This th- this thing works. To to have a movie that gives you thrills um, and not cheap thrills at all. Yeah, they're, they're all earned thrills. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, with if, characters you care about and with a very straightforward logical story. It's yeah. A, uh, it doesn't get better than that. If you uh, if you haven't seen it, drop what you're doing. Run to your uh, you know find what theater it's playing in. Mm-hmm. Go yeah, see it, it there. Fandango.com. Yeah. MovieTickets.com. Yeah. Just check them out. I love them. I use them every day. <clears throat> uh, it's more than just a horror film. It's, uh, you know, it's really a complete package. Yeah. Uh, Maybe yeah. not a love story. It's an entertainment yeah. uh, extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's thrills, chills, and excitement. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it in a while, definitely give it another shot. Check it out again. I think you'll want to see this. It's uh, uh, To me, it's good every time. It's always a win. Good. Um, so there we have it. That's, so uh, that's it. That's Alien. This is Alien, baby. I don't know if we can break it down any more than we just did. I mean, we could go deep, 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 but we'll be here all day. Yeah. So we got to just keep it in our, our usual surface level, level uh, examination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, guys. Thank you for uh, tuning in this week. We've got our uh, summer coming up. Yeah, we're just right here in the beginning of June. 
Yeah, more episodes to come. Yeah, we've got uh, a good lineup coming. I, I, I won't spoil it here, but stay tuned. Check out our social media, our Facebook page, uh, Recon Cinema Podcast, our Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Tweet at us. Uh, what do you think? Do we... Uh, were we on the money about Alien? Yeah. Where does it rank in your Alien uh, franchise list? Mm-hmm. Tell us. Is it one, two, three? Is Covenant the best one? No. Alien versus Predator 2? Is that the best Probably. one? Probably. Probably. Probably better than Covenant. <laughs> Covenant's fine. Prometheus is the <laughs> problem child. You're right. I do like Covenant more than Prometheus. Yeah. And we'll save uh, you know discussing the connection between Alien and Prometheus for the or Prometheus show, kind which of will never happen, of, which is great. Right, doesn't fall on our timeline, but <laughs> maybe it, maybe a five minute bonus show. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, guys. So thanks for uh, listening. Give us. A, why don't you just take thirty seconds? Go on over to iTunes. Give us a five star review and a rating, and and uh, it'd be so amazing. We'll boost the uh, the life of the show. Yeah, we need that. Yeah. No one's listening though. It's not. No one's going to do it. Oh, that's not true. Don't They're listen listening. <laughs> They're listening. We've um, got our followers. Yeah. Uh, and thank you again to our pals, Curtis Moore, for the uh, artwork. Mm-hmm. You can check him out on uh, on the Facebook and the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, EK, EK Wimmer for the theme music, as always. And don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves, mm-hmm. anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be getting on out of here. Yo, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, my I'm, car, ready, I'm my, ready to go to bed. It's 4 in the morning. My car is running uh, with the air conditioning on. Yeah. Because I like a cool car when I go home. You like a one-hour warm-up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, I started right before we started this. So right before yeah. we start recording. Yeah. So it should be the right it temperature. It should be perfect temperature for me. Yeah. Once I get so, um, let's get out of here. All right, cool. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon, and uh, stay tuned. Bye now.